una y dos y dos una y dos Hello and welcome to Cortez NYC Livestream, the podcast. This show broadcasts twice a week out of New York City. We are your hosts, Cortez NYC. In Tala de Puerto Rico. And on the show, we talk about art, creativity, city life. From a Latino perspective, I'm a visual artist. And I'm a singer. And this is episode finally 53. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify, and also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. And always remember, I have an online store, CortezNYC.BitCartel.com. I have original art, stickers, posters, and graffiti pins on there for you guys to collect and help support an artist. And special shout out to all the people on Instagram following us, all the people on Podbean, iTunes. On Facebook, thank you for the shares, likes, and keep listening. All the cops are coming after us. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're going to speak very serious topics. Controversial. Let's not start so controversial. We're going to start easy. Let's start... Um, I thought I would talk about um, some of the people that are coming to New York. They might come to visit. They might want to see some art in New York. We have a lot of museums. Yeah. I figured I would talk about some of my more favorite places to go visit, museums that I like to go to, and maybe I might do that on the next couple of episodes. So this first episode for this little grouping, series. <laughs> little series, I think would be cool to talk about the Met because I think the Met is mm -hmm. a museum that I, I've gone to the most in mm -hmm. New York. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people out there have gone to the Met a million times if you're a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like I know John Smalls loves the Met. He's a member of, of the Met and, you know, he's always posting and, uh, you know, images of him going to the latest exhibit there, mm -hmm. you know, the, the new exhibits that open up. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's actually a really, it's a huge museum. Museum, exactly. I don't think that anybody could come see it on a visit. In just one day. No. In one day and see everything and take it all in. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you could even, you can't even probably walk the whole thing. In one day. In one day. Um, Unless you just run. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, like doing your cardio, maybe. Right. If, you, if you're running through it, maybe. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, so um, let me start with just a little introduction of like the Met's history. The Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Metropolitan Museum of Art of New York. Uh, they call it the Met. It's the largest art museum in the United States uh, with 7.6 million visitors in 2016. Wow. Uh, it was the third most visited art museum in the world. Uh, the fifth most visited museum of any kind. Wow. Um, its permanent collection contains over 2 million works. So in 2 million works, I'm not going to talk about 2 million works in this podcast. I'll mm -hmm. talk about a couple of my favorites, but any, and not even my favorites, just a couple that pop into my head. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, there's a lot of work, yeah. you know, in that museum. Um, it's divided among 17 curatorial departments, the main building on the eastern edge of Central Park, along Museum Mile in Manhattan, uh, is by area one of the largest art galleries. Uh, a much smaller location, the Cloisters mm -hmm. at Fort Tyron Park in Upper Manhattan, contains an extensive collection of art, architecture, and artifacts from medieval Europe. Uh, on March 18, 2016, the museum opened the Met 
Brewer Museum. That's mm. the one that um, John Smalls was telling me about. Um, so that opened in 2016, and this is on, Mad- on Madison Avenue on the Upper East Side. Okay. And it contains uh, the museum's modern and con- an extension of uh, the museum's modern and contemporary art program. That's cool. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think I still have to visit that um, that extension, the the Brewer. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So this museum is huge. Um. I'm gonna highlight just some of my some of my not like i said not my favorite but some some of the pieces that i think stand out to me um they have painting they have sculpture and they have cultural things mm-hmm. right so and religious themes too re- because the that, cloisters yeah. is all dedicated to the catholic church exactly. and everything else um they have they have like for example they have the islamic art also the, yeah. the buddhist art mm-hmm. they have art from all different cultures from around the world that mm-hmm. religious or not and that's that's like really amazing because mm-hmm. under under in one day you can it feels like you travel the whole world you have right? a history class yeah. in one day <laughs> yeah um so i'm gonna start with just a couple of pieces let me just start with uh in the painting section uh there's a piece um by velasquez the artist is velasquez the painting it's a spanish painting um it's called juan de pareja It's, uh, it's dated six, 1606 to 1670. It's an oil painting. Um, here the description is... Velasquez most likely executed this portrait of, an ens- of his enslaved assistant in Rome during the early months of 1650. According to one of the artist's biographers, when his landmark of Western portraiture was, per- was first put on display, it received such universal acclaim that in the opinion of all the painters of different nations everything else seemed like painting but this alone like truth well mm. pretty big pretty big <laughs> review huh uh months after depicting his sitter in such a proud and confident way velasquez signed a contract of manumission that would liberate him from bondage in 1654 from that point forward juan de pareja worked as an independent painter in madrid wow That is pretty interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, so basically, he he painted uh, his it was his, his slave, right? That's what mm-hmm. it, yeah. that's what I just read. Yeah. <laughs> and then freedom after he, you know, he I guess he kind of like brought him out to the public, right? You know, in that way, presented him in that way as a, I guess it, you know back then it was not normal, I guess, yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. paint to mm-hmm. to make like a, a almost like a royal portraiture of your servant of your servant. Mm-hmm. Um, So what I find interesting about this painting that always stayed in my head, and if you guys look it up, just look up Juan de Pareja Velázquez, and that's how you'll find it. Um, what I find interesting about this painting is is the subject, and it's I, man, it's just shocking that it's so obvious, you know, that he was his servant. But I mean, the guy's look is like he's got an afro, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a, he's got a little fro. Yeah. Um, He's darker skinned. He's got a mustache and a beard, like a goatee. He looks, when I see this painting, when I was young and I first saw this painting, it stayed in my head like he looks like a dude that I'm riding the train with. Right. He looks like a guy that you would find in the street. Out of the whole museum, mm-hmm. you know, you're seeing all these like Greek and Roman and this and that and these Aphrodites and, and these heroic, you know, white figures and or dudes with big beards, you know, white hair and big beards. And then you come across this one painting and he looks like 
he looks like your people. Exactly. He looks like people that you know. That you know, uh-huh. You know, and, and to me, he always looked like, I, I, I associate him like he looks like a Puerto Rican guy or mm -hmm. he looks like a... Dominican. Yeah, <laughs> like, like his look, it's like, you know, it's amazing. So, and then you see that it's like, painted so well it's painted so detailed if you look up close the, the texture the brushwork everything about it is, is a masterpiece of work um but the subject that the person you know if you just take him out of his fancy clothes like those old style clothing right and you just look at his face if i were to just crop his face you you wouldn't know what time period this guy was. you would think it was exactly. now exactly. and i think that's what stayed in my head and and I, like i said the date is 1606 You know. Wow! Yeah, that like um, that's four hundred years ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. That his face, it's his face. The image of his face is timeless. It's timeless, and even the mood in his face, even the attitude right, of his right, face, right. because he could have had a different attitude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But even the mood captured in his face is a mood that you see now. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot. Uh, you know, some people go crazy about the Mona Lisa. Exactly. I go crazy about this piece. <laughs> like this is a piece that I could look at and talk about the expression on his face. The, right. the, you know the side eye that, he, that he's giving you exactly uh, the, a slight smirk to his to his lip mm -hmm. like he's giving you a slight mm -hmm. attitude mm -hmm. you know um, very interesting piece and that that's in the Met and that's that always stayed with me so shout out to Velasquez um, all right the next piece that I want to talk about this is a sculpture that I came across uh, in the Met I you know like I said I go there many times every year at least I'll go once or twice yeah Um, and I walking through the sculpture because I uh, the, the little sculpture gardens that they have the little areas that have a lot of sculptures. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the Greek or the Roman, and you know I'm always looking for subjects to draw because that's one of my new pastimes is that I'll go there and, and sketch. Um, I won't leave without filling at least a few pages of yeah. sketches. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm always looking for a new thing that I haven't seen yet or that I haven't paid attention to yet. Right. And sketching these things actually makes me memorize them and it's actually interesting because it, it really does spark your curiosity further mm -hmm. when you sketch you know art um, instead of just walking past it like it's a decoration mm -hmm. and so one of the sculptures that I came across that just stood out to me and I just I sketched it and I, and I really found myself like captured by it uh, is a sculpture called Yugolino de la Gerardesca Yugolino de la Gerardesca. Actually, the name of the thing is Yugolino and his sons. That's the name of his... The, the actual name of the piece is Yugolino, piece. Yugolino and his sons. But it's depicting Yugolino de la Gerardesca, mm. uh, who's a character from Dante's Inferno. Okay. Um, this is... Uh, the, the story behind this character is uh, in the story, the, the Pisan Count. So he's from Pisa. The peace and count, uh, Ugolino, is sentenced to die in a tower prison with his children and grandchildren. So they, they imprisoned him in a tower with his children and the grandchildren. Um, he is depicted mm. in this sculpture uh, at the moment where he considers cannibalism. Mm. Because he's locked in with his, with his sons and his grandkids. Yeah. To basically to die and starve yeah. in a tower. And in the story, he considers cannibalism. Now... Uh, it says here, you know, and I don't really know the Dante's Inferno, but it says here that it's left on, it's never been, you know, uh, stated clearly, like, did he eat them or not? Right. Um, but the uh, the sculpture shows this main figure, mm -hmm. you know, like typical Greek or, you know, Roman or Greek 
powerful looking face and like very stern and and very detailed in the muscle yeah the areas. anatomy the muscles you know a lot of wrinkles and folds yeah. and tension in the hands tension in the face but his expression though he he's like he's got his hands up against his face like you know that feeling when you just want to tear your skin off like yeah you, you just you, you have that anxiety and you want to like exactly. it's anxious right like it's, frustration also yeah and and it's not now i understand why he's got his his hands by his mouth mm -hmm. um and then he's got his sons and his grandkids all around him like holding on and hang clinging onto his body and that's something that i didn't really understand before mm -hmm. Now I understand it. You know, they're they're basically starving and they're asking for help. And he's actually thinking, should I eat these kids? Or not? Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, the I think the the piece is something that it's it's pretty big. It's well displayed. You could walk around it mm -hmm. um, in the museum. It's you know you could walk you know all 360 degrees exactly. all around the piece. And you see every detail. Every angle, yeah. Um, it's actually really. It's great to draw. I like drawing it and I like sketching. I think what attracted me to the piece was the multiple figures. Mm -hmm. You know, you have you have all these figures in, kind of wrapped around each other and intertwining. You yeah. know, their arms and the legs and all this stuff and the different expressions and postures that they have. Um, but based around the, the central dominating figure, which is the, I guess, the father or grandfather in this situation. Um, so, yeah, it's actually a really good piece. Um, this is... Yugolino and his sons. You guys should go check that out. Yeah, that's um, pretty cool. And what's the... Uh, did I say when it was made? I probably didn't. No. So in the 1860s. 1860. All right. So the piece was made in 1860s. That answers that. Um, but yeah. All right. So that's a great piece. Next piece that I'll talk about here is... And I don't know why this one stays in my head, and this is gonna seem like a weird one for you guys, mm -hmm. but um, there is a painting by the artist Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres. Uh, he's French. Uh, the dates here are 1780 to 1867 for his life. Um, the date for the piece is about 1851. Mm -hmm. um, it's an oil piece on canvas. The, the title is it's basically a portrait of Josephine Eleanor Marie Pauline de Gillard de Brassac oh de Bjorn, <laughs> Princess de Broglie, Broglie or Broglie, Princess de Broglie. Josephine. So one more time, this title. You guys ready for this? She sounds like she got a Spanish name. She's got like five names. <laughs> Josephine Eleanor Marie Pauline de Gillard de Brassac de Bjorn, Bjorn oh, wow. de Bjorn. Um, it's basically a, a portrait of, of um, here, here's the description, Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres, the neo-classical French artist par excellence, painted his masterpiece toward the end of his life when his reputation as a portraitist to prominent citizens and Orleanist aristocrats had been long established. Pauline de Broglie, the, the, the model, mm -hmm. sat for the artist's final commission, uh, Ingres, the painter, captures the shy reserve of his subject while illuminating through seamless brushwork the material quality of her many fine attributes her rich blue satin and mm -hmm. that's what stands out to mm -hmm. me her rich blue satin and lace ball gown the gold embroidered shawl so it's all about the clothing it's all about what she owned her material clothing um it her, looks like you can actually feel yeah 
the uh, silk damask chair together with finely tooled jewels. So it's all, the description is all about all the stuff in the portrait, the chair, the materials, mm-hmm. the dress, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and it's a, I, I know, I know a lot of artists are going to be like, you're an idiot. Why do you <laughs> think this is so great? It's just a visually appealing, dumb portrait. Yeah. But if you were to look at this painting up close in person, every single time I go to the Met, I walk past it, I look up close, and I'm like, I can't believe this dress. And I look at the details, and it's brush marks. Hmm. It looks, if you look at the photo on, on uh, if you Google the photo, yeah. you would think it's like a very smooth and finished right. uh, painting. But right. if you look up close, you see the brush marks. You there's see structure, there's um, the strokes, the texture yeah, of, the, yeah. of the paint. Texture, the texture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a really good illusion. Wow. You know, that it's so smooth and detailed and polished that it it doesn't look like a photo but it looks like a like a beautiful sculpture but then you look at the details and you're like wow that's really amazing mm-hmm. like how did he capture that lighting he captured the like lighting. this the shimmer of the of the satin in the dress and the materials her skin is like soft and powdery you know kind of like this part of the dress oh yeah the shoulder the shoulder of the dress that's yeah. amazing because it's like transparent yeah. almost Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can feel the texture of it. Like if if you have seen dresses that are that type, you can almost feel the texture of that side of the shoulders and the details in that in that shoulder. Um, but it looks amazing. Yeah, no, that's that's a great piece. Again, I apologize to anybody out there who's into like deep dark subjects or modern art, <laughs> but this one stands out to me. Jean Auguste Dominique Ingres is the artist. All right, moving on. Let's go to. The Temple of Dendur. Mm. The Temple of Dendur, and I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, Dendur or Dendur, the Temple of Dendur, is I think the most iconic display in the museum, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Temple of Dendur is um, in the big giant salon with the with the windows. You know, you get the natural lighting in. It's it's like a it looks like a what do you call that? Like it reminds me of those rooms where you keep plants. Oh yeah. Like a garden, like um, in a, Un vivero. Yeah. Yeah. It looks it looks like one of those like you know enclosed outdoor garden things, but they have glass to enclose yeah, it. Yeah. Um, because you feel like you're outdoors, but you, obviously you're indoors with the mm-hmm. glass, right? And you get a lot of natural lighting, so you it gives you the illusion that you're walking through the actual ruins. Yeah, exactly. As if it was as if this museum was built around it. That's why I like that part of the map because it's almost like escape from the building yeah. and then you're like in a different world. Exactly. Um, th- an interesting fact about this piece, so this this is a, a Roman period uh, temple um, Egypt, from Egypt, uh, from Nubia. Um, it was it was awarded, it was given to the United States by Egypt in 1965. I was born in 72. Wow. I didn't realize that it's been I you would imagine that it's been there for 300 like I said you would imagine it's been there forever, forever that we built the museum around it yeah um, it's amazing to think that they transported that mm-hmm. over here mm-hmm. um, I don't know how many things like that are happening still in the United States cultural things like that yeah, you know. know what I mean I think this was a, 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 a time period where people were more worried about or concerned about society and culture mm-hmm. than now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's a positive thing or negative thing. It, the I positive think, is it makes you travel. 
right? Because now you have to go out. The idea now is that you go find those places. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. That now it's easier to go and see the places firsthand. Yeah. Versus maybe at that time they wanted to give people an experience and go to a museum and see it. Correct. Um, this this is actually the the story behind the bringing of this over here. This, this and this and this whole museum, the Met, mm -hmm. is that they needed they needed and wanted to bring culture to the people of the, of mm. the American people. Yeah. That was the themes behind all this stuff, is is if, if the people aren't leaving to go find these things, maybe at that time we were very, as we are doing now, very enclosed, you know, enclosed in our own little country. Yeah. You know, everything is America, America, America. Yeah. And so they figured if we don't bring the art to them, they're never going to go look for the art. For, so yeah. we got to bring it to the people. And they brought things like this to open people's eyes up to other other cultures. cultures yeah and art mm -hmm. um and and i think it they did it i don't know i i'm speaking for myself but i think <laughs> they, they did a good thing because yes it fuels your imagination yeah it it drives you to think what would it be like to see the actual thing yeah to go out there and see other temples like this mm -hmm. um just just a, a description of the temple it's it's two it's two little structures you have the, an entrance and then you have like this back structure um, and they display it, I guess, to try to recreate what it would look like over there by dis by displaying them separately and at a certain distance. Mm -hmm. um, when you walk in, it's pretty tall. It's it's uh, you feel, and it's not even the biggest temple ever, no. but you feel it feels big. So it also makes you think of and imagine what are these other temples like that are even bigger. Exactly. Um, the the interesting thing about this piece, obviously, because it's iconic, it's been there since before I was born. You know, it was. It was brought mm -hmm. there uh, right before I was born um, but it's been there forever and in my imagination it's been there forever and and it's iconic to the museum they have events and this is if you look it up Temple of Dendur and you look up and you just probably just write in images right Temple of Dendur Metropolitan event mm -hmm. and then you'll see a ton of events where they have uh, they have classical music performances mm -hmm. they have dance performances I saw some things where they have like uh, like Bali dancing, yeah, you know, in front of the temple. That's awesome. It's awesome, but it also makes me think how interesting. It's a temple that is uh, used to have religious connotation. It was a cult temple, mm -hmm. and now we're still having celebrations in front in of front it. Of, yeah, it's interesting. It, it kind of fuels your imagination a little bit, you know, to the human condition that we that we understand. It's a temple, and in a temple, you should be having performances, yeah. music, dancing. You know, other type of arts. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's interesting. Um, but so that's one of my favorite pieces, just because of the nature of it. It's it's an it's an artifact. It's huge. It's iconic. It's interactive. It's interactive. You walk through it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's that one. All right. And now, so now let me wrap it up with this last one. Um, the last part that I'll talk about here is the in the Metropolitan Museum of Art is the pre-Columbian section. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a kid, I probably wasn't so. I guess I wasn't so curious about it. Into it. I would mm -hmm. probably walk past it. It would just look like a bunch of gold to me and a bunch yeah, of yeah, yeah. like old little statues and pottery. Yeah. And I just walked right past it. <laughs> and I knew what it was because my my family used to make jewelry back in Colombia and they would do little versions of these little icons. They would do the cheap version of the icons. Uh-huh. Um, the pre-Columbian, you know, uh, Mayan looking and mm -hmm. Inca looking uh, figures the representation of gods 
word? They were well, they were just like natural things. They would have like a frog, a warrior, a this, a that, and anthrop what they call anthropomorphic figures. Um, but they would do them in, in silver and in gold, small things with a little emerald in it, because mm -hmm. that's like the symbol, the rock of, of Colombia. Um, so I always was familiar with the pre-Columbian art and the idea of it. So when I saw it, I would always think of my family. I'd be like, boom, got it. That's from my family. But, um, but if you go check it out in the Met, they have a whole section. It's humongous. Mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, the area of the art of the Americas. And it has everything from Peru all the way up through Mexico, um, all of South America, all of Central yeah. America. It has pottery, sculptures. Like I said, it has... Uh, little jewels and, and emeralds and rocks and also golds and silvers and all that um i think i think i've sat there sketching that stuff at least now like four times mm -hmm. um it doesn't get old you no, know I, no. I look at it and, and now now i guess now i just i'm more curious and i really look at the details yeah and and it gives you an idea of what our ancestors made sometimes um when we listen to the the history is a little bit watered down like they they were just warriors they love nature and that's it but right they were either, they, they were either mystical yeah or, or warriors or they just were a little tribe somewhere exactly the but it was more than that yeah they used to trade they used to make um uh, like you said yearly and everything else to survive so it gives you a sense of power right. of your culture yeah Yeah, it, it opens up your eyes and it opens up your imagination. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, to me, it's the details that, that drive me. How, how they forge these things without... Um, there was no manufacturing yeah. plants or anything. Or, or, you know, and they, had, they were using tools that they made to make tools. To make, exactly. To make, to make things. To like make they were, things, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting. First, you make the tool and then you use that tool that you made to mm -hmm. make something else. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of things stay in my head um and and then like the fact always the fact that it, you know the, some of these things that are made out of gold and, and precious metals that these people were you know these people were doing them for art yeah. you know, using these expensive materials for art and that's that's always interesting yeah um all right guys so the met what do you guys think i'm sure you guys have gone there some of you guys might think it's boring but a lot of you guys probably think that it's you know interesting i always confuse it with the natural museum of art the museum of natural history yeah yeah yeah, yeah the museum of natural history is another big one but the met is better Yes, culture talk. So what do you got for this culture talk? What are we going to talk about? So we are recording this the day after the midterm elections in the United States. So I wanted to talk a little bit about elections and maybe give you an overview of how are the elections um, taking place in the United States. And also some of the groundbreaking um, wins that we got in this elections midterm 2018 right out of the results we got some good results yes and some results i mean we wish we would have had more but exactly exactly but, but okay. we'll go over it all right go for it go for it yeah Dale, i'm not gonna stall so, you any longer <laughs> than i have to thank you <laughs> so 
Elections in the United States are held for government officials at federal, state, and local levels. Um, at the federal level, the president is elected indirectly by the people of each state through an electoral college. Okay. So what does it mean? So an electoral college is a body of electors selected every four years with the only purpose of electing the president and vice president of the United States. So basically these people represent the whole population of the states and the states are the ones that decide who's gonna represent the state and um, maybe the requirements that they need for these people to be part of the electoral college. Okay. Um, and then uh, the federal elections, which is the one that we're talking right now, is uh, for the congressional and presidential elections. So basically, in the federal elections, you are uh, electing the people that are going to represent you in Congress, in the House of Representatives and Senate, and then also you are electing the person that is going to become the President of the United States. Mm. Um, so when it comes to the congressional elections, which means people that are going to be in Congress, there's two different parts of Congress is the House of Representatives and the Senate. Okay. So the Senate yes. has 100 members um, that are elected for a six-year term. And Damn, six years. Yes. And the states choose how to elect the senators. So it's more like a state effort to decide who's going to be the person that is going to represent the state, basically. Okay. And then the House of Representatives has 435 members. I didn't know it was so big. Yeah, it's a lot of people. 435 members that are elected for a two-year term. So that's why the House of Representatives is almost as, I take it as, the House of, of Representatives is like a high school, and then when you go to the Senate, you are in college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a good way to see it. And so we have the federal federal level elections, right? Which are every four years. And then also we have the midterm elections, which are the ones that just passed last Tuesday. And these are general elections held in November every four years near the midpoint of a president's four-year term, term of office. Uh, federal offices that are up for election during the midterms are members of the U.S. Congress, including all 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives and 33 or 34 of the 100 seats in the U.S. Senate. Okay. So what it means is that for the House of Representatives, um, we're electing everybody in the midterm election. So we want to make sure that they're doing their job and maybe if they're not representing our voice, to change them. Right. And then for Senate, we are electing um, 34 or 33, and I believe that um, it depends on the state's regulations towards a candidate that we have in Senate. Okay. So 
in addition to that, each state selects, uh, depending on the states also in the regulations, we select the governor and other um, officials that are going to serve uh, under the state's um, laws, rules, regulations, everything right. else. And basically, that's my overview of the elections in the United States. Very, very technical, <laughs> Carla. Yeah, very technical. But wow. getting more into my experience with the elections in the United States, I can say that they're totally different from my experience in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, um, it's a different type of election. Um, it's every four years. And then we have the primaries um, right before the every four years election, basically. Okay. And then there's nothing else. Um, and I'll say that it's interesting how politics are played in the United States. It's almost like a sport. Um, everybody, I think now more than ever, everybody is aware of it. Everybody wants to see who's going to win. Um, TV stations, they have special programs through the whole day talking about the elections and who's winning, who's not. It's like sports. So it's it's like sports, yeah. yeah. It's like a baseball game. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And um, coming here to New York, my my the first time I voted was um, for the primaries for the Democratic Party, um, which was Bernie versus Hillary. And then I voted... Uh, for the presidential elections, Hillary versus Trump. Trump. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What do you remember about elections? Do you think that it was something that you thought as important growing up? Or? No, not at all. When I was growing up, I didn't want to vote. No. And I didn't. I didn't care about politics. I was one of those people that was like, the system is broken. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Why vote? I remember my father always telling me. <clears throat> my father would always tell me like. You know, um, every vote counts. Your, you know, your vote will count. You should mm -hmm. vote. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you should vote. Like, mm -hmm. even if you don't believe in it, you should still participate. Um, and I, I don't know. It I took me a while to finally start to vote. Yeah. Um, it took me a few years to, to really get in, into politics and into voting. I think a lot of it has to do with um, coming out of, you know, uh, my memories of politics is like you know Nixon and Carter mm -hmm. and uh, scandals and presidential scandals and stuff so you know I think by the time I, you know I was paying attention to, to politics and it was like Reagan and then uh, Bush yeah, you know, yeah like yeah. I was already like ah oh, I'm, I'm over it like mm -hmm. it, it makes no difference it's always gonna be the same thing it's always gonna be the same situation right but uh, I think by the time Bill Clinton came around is when I started like my eyes started opening up to politics and I, I started realizing that there's more there's more story behind it and there's there's more to it and and that things could within the bad there's good mm -hmm. you know and I started yeah. started seeing those things and um, and I think um, I think once we had Bush Jr. The, mm -hmm. you know the yeah, second yeah. Bush in office we realized i really realized oh so it can go bad too like exactly. it can be really bad so it yeah. can be like it can be like some bad and some good and then it could just be just straight bad, bad. yeah and and then from there we had obama which was like amazing mm -hmm. it was like um 
it was a real blessing. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe that we really had a real president that really um, deserved to be there and really um, cared about people. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we're here where we are now. <laughs> where, exactly. where it's just ridiculous and it's just... We went from... I've never seen such a bad president. I've never seen such a bad human being in office. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And... Uh, you would figure somebody who's got so much baggage and so much uh, drama... Right. ...in his public persona, you would figure that that person would be removed from the media and removed from public office. Like, you, you would imagine that people would say, nope, and mm -hmm. they would yank him away. But instead, they put the camera on him. Yeah. And they want to hear more. Yeah. And they want him to talk. And they want him to say crazy things. And they, you know, and it's like they want to keep going. It's like the drama that we need in our lives. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, but talking about presidents, um, did you know the details about the Electoral College? No. No. I heard about it. I heard about it because I think um, I think it was George Bush, the, the, the younger one. Mm -hmm. There was like some poll fiasco with him i don't know if you uh, knew that no 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 yeah that that was the first time that there was like a whole scandal about the ballots the pre the the voting ballots mm -hmm. being rigged mm. and miscounted oh, wow. and there was like i think it was in florida i think that there was like a whole miscount and it cost the election yeah like there was a miscount and this and the other and they started trying to investigate and then eventually people just said ah just let it be <laughs> no. and just let it go and yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's crazy Yeah. I guess I guess because there was no solution and nobody's ever, I don't I guess they they never had a, a plan for like how do you handle this right you know you can't keep the country waiting like exactly. you need to know who's the president who's the president yeah um so in that situation you know yeah I I I heard about electoral colleges I heard right. about that it's not just the votes that count right um but. The details and exactly how it works? No. I mean, you explained it right now, and I was, I was still lost. Yeah, I was yeah, listening yeah. to you, and I'm, but I'm like, I can't <laughs> even follow it. It's just complicated. Yeah. So from what I also, from what I understood from the information I read and I shared with you guys, um, it's basically a group of people that each state selects. And then this group of people are the ones that are going to decide for the president even though we do have the popular vote that is the vote that everybody makes when they're going to vote for the president right but then in order for the president to win and vice president they need to have at least 270 votes from the electoral college i got you so for me so they gotta have votes from the popular and also from the yeah electoral but for me i but but in presidential elections They put more emphasis in electoral college, mm. which for me, it's kind of weird because then why are we voting? If you're going to have these people deciding already, what's the point of us going to vote? I mean, I'm going to keep voting, don't get me wrong, but I think that there's something needs to change about this electoral college, which makes everything super confusing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think... Um... I pro I'm, I'm sure it was probably introduced as a safety net. Yeah, Maybe there yeah. was a time where where this was a way, having an electoral college was a way to have some safety net to, I don't know whether it would be protection against corruption or protection against 
uh, the system not working mm-hmm. or a miscount, miscount or you know I don't know what it would be for mm-hmm. or or that the that the public would would vote for somebody that really was ridiculous right maybe they felt like you know let have some sort of system in place where if they happen to vote for somebody who's really not in yeah. the interest of the, of the government yeah. you know we can like have them not be president but then we had yeah, I mean, but right now, yeah right now we got they did the opposite exactly they didn't protect the country they threw the country you know they threw a monster at the yeah. country so but, I, I don't know uh, yeah I, I think i think there there is something about it that is not right and does mm-hmm. not make sense with modern times mm-hmm. um i'd like to see more technology involved in this process that's what i was going to say right now um i also was having a conversation with a co-worker she was telling me the same um i, I don't believe in the system i don't believe that voting really counts and she was giving me her explanation of why isn't that the government is including technology on it like people can easily vote online they can have an app voting and then you can enter maybe your social security number and vote that's it yeah i don't know i don't know but i think i think some more i think technology should be helping us and i think if anything they're fighting it they're trying to keep it low tech yeah so that that they can thinking that that could be well i mean their excuse is is that technology could be hacked right but you know we're still worried about it either way so why not just go with it exactly yeah i don't know well some hope that we're having after this midterm elections 2018 are the groundbreaking wins that we got um the majority are for women that are going to represent us in the house of representative and congress and i will start with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She became the she youngest. Won. Yes, she, she won. She won. And she became the youngest woman elected to the House of Representatives. Nice. Which is amazing. She made history. She's Latina. Um, she is genuine, which I think is awesome. And, and how, I, how old is she? 29. 29. Wow. Yes. She's young. Yes. Super young. So I hope she keeps representing us. Um, then we have... Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Probably but. not. <laughs> they became the first Muslim women ever elected to Congress. That's crazy. So that's also awesome. I think that that type of representation is needed in Congress. Especially because, especially right now. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, because and more exactly with all the misinformation that misinformation slander uh uh racist remarks you know like information yeah like i hope i really hope that i mean seeing seeing i know that your list is is a lot of uh women of color but seeing that they're going to be not just women but women of color yes in the room yes it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to keep with this rhetoric with this negative you know rhetoric or are they going to start to adjust their their views mm-hmm. to be more inclusive yeah you know Definitely. I mean, that's that's gonna be interesting so also Sharice davis um became the first openly gay na- native american that flipped a red state to a blue and she's going to the house of representatives as well then we have deb howland 
um, also first Native American women in Congress, Jared Polis, Jared Polis um, the first openly gay man to win a gubernatorial election, <laughs> and he's the, Colora the governor of Colorado now. Oh, wow. So that's awesome, too. Um, Ayanna Presley, uh, she became uh, Massachusetts' first black congresswoman. And for the first time, um, over 100 women were elected in the United States House of Representatives. Crazy. So that's that's a big game changer. It's, I mean, it's inspiring. It sounds like a game changer. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, we don't know exactly how this is gonna play out, right? Yeah. We don't know if they're gonna give them the voice because what I'm thinking is maybe some Democrats that has been there for the longest, they're gonna maybe take advantage of their place there and be like we are the ones that rule the house of representative but i hope that they can be strong enough and that at least they have a space to say at least one thing you know well i mean that was something i was thinking about and people were talking about is now that the democrats have won back the house mm -hmm. um how is that going to play out and i personally think because politics is politics and business is business yeah that now that there's going to be a majority of Democrats, yeah. some of the Democrats that might have been feeling the pressure to be uh, working only with their party's favor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, might not feel that pressure anymore because they'll be like, well, there's more than enough people here, so you don't really need me to stick my neck out for you. Right. I can vote either way right. on certain things. Yeah. And... Then it's going to be a thing of like, uh, not, you know, we need every single person, but they'll be like, well, you need the majority and mm -hmm. we're already the majority. So maybe yeah. you don't need me. And then that might turn into a thing where you might have some of the Democrats flipping Flip, and yeah. not and not holding on to their party line. Right. Um, because they don't need it anymore. Because they don't need it. And they'll, they'll be like, well, then if I don't need to do this and I can get some favors on the other side, why not? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I yeah. can have the best of both worlds. Yeah. I, I feel like I could see that. I think that they're going to do that with the progressives in Congress. The Democrats that are, let's say, democratic socialists. Right. And they will like to implement something new and right. something that they're afraid of. Exactly. They're going to be like, no, you just came here and no. That's, that's the thing that I think, um, you know, once we get past this whole issue of like, the Republicans and Trump and all this nonsense. Once we get past all this, mm -hmm. maybe in the next four years, yeah. you know, um, we're going to be dealing with a new issue, which will be Democrat on Democrat issues. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's great. I mean, this it's a huge this this midterm elections was was amazing. The yeah. turnout was great when we went to vote. It was it was I packed. Think it was packed. Then yeah, it was packed. There was people before. there. It, it looked more busy than, than before. Than before, yeah. Um, and and it was exciting to watch. It was exciting to see that everybody was so into it. it yeah. People around my job, everywhere, people were like really into this voting. So yeah. I, I was like, wow, this is a really good sign. And you know? it's it's important for us Latinos because we need to um, make our voice heard. And now we have more voices in the House of Representatives. So we should be able to you know just be part of our civic duty 
Yeah, I mean, go okay. out and vote and just be involved. Be yeah, involved be and involved. show your face because if they, if you don't even show your face, they're not gonna acknowledge you. Yeah, and because if you don't vote, then it's basically them saying, so it doesn't matter if we don't do anything for them. Exactly. They don't vote anyways. And hopefully, some of these changes might help Puerto Rico. Yes. In these next couple of years, right? Yes, yes, yes. All right, guys. So I hope you guys voted. Hope you guys are out there letting your voices be heard. Hablando español, Carla. I hope you have some words for me. Yes, I have. I have words. You have. So, you have words for me. How do you say interactive? Interactive. Uh, in, interactivo. Oh, I feel okay. Like, I feel like we said this one already. We did. I don't know. It feels like we did. <laughs> All right. Interactivo. Uh, how do you say? Celebration. Celebration. Uh, celebración. Yes. All right. How do you say? Yes. Museum. Museum. Uh, museo. Yes. Museo. Mm-hmm. How do you say? Sad. How do you say what? Sad. Satin. Satin. Oh, satin. Yes. Satin. Satin. So how do you say satin? How do you say satin? Satin? I just said it? No. No satin? No. ¿Qué? Seda. Oh, seda. Yes. Really? Yes. It's that material super soft, super satin luxurious. Is seda. I don't know that. Yes. Satin seda. is seda. Seda. What's silk? Seda. No, it's two different things. Satin and silk are two different things. Always gotta throw you up. All right, let's keep going. Keep okay, going. Okay, let's keep going. Um, how do you say dress? Dress. Uh, I think we did this one because there's different words for that. Um, all right, so dress it can be vestido. Yes. But it could also be traje. Yes. Right. See, but at least you learned. <laughs> okay, how do you say cannibalism? <laughs> Which one? Cannibalism. 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 There you go. <laughs> I was like cannibal. It's like what is this? Cannibalism. <laughs> cannibalism. Okay. How do you say cannibalism? Um, cannibalismo. Yes. <laughs> uh, how do you say? <laughs> uh, you basically said it in Spanish. I know. <laughs> how do you say slave? Um, slave. Slave is uh, esclavo. Okay. Right, and how do you I have a newsflash for you. Ugh, what? So, silk mm-hmm. is seda. seda. Mm-hmm. Satin yes. is satin. Mm. I was confused. Uh... It's good that you're here on this Hablando Español. I teach you some Spanish. (laughs) You learn Spanish through me. Thank you so much. All right, guys. This is super great. For all you uh, fabric connoisseurs out there, you designers, you you 
fashion designers yes who know about textiles and want to know how to say it in spanish so satin in spanish is satin yes satin. and silk is seda. seda very good all right move on okay how do you say yes house of representative in spanish I'm gonna do the literal translation. And I don't know, it's but ah, uh, all right. So I'll just do it and just throw it out there. But so house, literally house of representatives would be casa de representativos. Or representantes. Uh, representantes. And it's yeah. not. No. Casa de representantes. No. No. We what is call it? it cámara. Cámara. That's camera. Yeah. yeah, but it's we call it in Puerto Rico cámara. Um. Because basically it's como una recámara, so la cámara de representantes. Recámara? I don't even no, know. No, no, we is. don't know. Re, we don't say recámara. Recámara is como un cuarto in Mexican. What? Recámara is like a like a, a room. Like a room in in Mexican Spanish. A chamber. Now that makes sense. Okay, so cámara is like a chamber. Yes. So, so it's we the, call it's it... the the chamber. Yeah. Like the chamber of Congress. Yeah, in, in That's what we say in English. The chamber of Congress. Oh yeah? Ah, okay. So we call it but we call it cámara and then how do you say senate in Spanish? As in the senate or a senator? No, the senate. I don't know. Senado. Senado. So in Puerto Rico, they call it, when they're talking about, let's say, our Congress, we call it Cámara y Senado. Okay. So, yeah. Chamber. All Do right. you have any words for me? Oh, I have so many words for you, Carla. Oh, you won't even no. believe it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, well, I feel like I just, some of the words just slipped from my mind. But let's start with. Um, how do you say how do you say election first of all Elex election one only one yeah election 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 okay um, I guess how do you say governor governor is gobernador okay and I mean we said senator you know, mm -hmm. sen senador. Senador. I was gonna say senador. <laughs> I was gonna add a couple of T's into that one. Um, okay, and then I guess, how do you say? Is there is there a word when you guys say veto? Is there is there a word for that veto? What's that? A veto is when a president when a president can like cancel a bill or like stop a bill. That word is always bugging me I'm out. I'm sure there's there's a word for that, but I don't know it. Okay. Um, is there a Spanish word for collusion? Is there a Spanish word for investigation? Yes. What? Investigación. Oh my god, that took you a while. <laughs> that one took you a while. Wow. <laughs> And uh, we were talking about a temple. Is there a, what's the Spanish word for temple? Templo. Templo. All right. All right. I think that's it. That's all, all the Spanish I got for okay, now. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for teaching Thank me so much you. Spanish. <laughs> I've learned a lot.
<laughs> All right, another episode in the bag. Yes. So much Spanish to be learned. So much voting. Too much. So much, so much art. <laughs> uh, talks. Politics. All right. So um, next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, maybe another museum. I'm going to give you guys uh, another museum to look into if you come to New York and you want to see some museums. Carla, what are you going to talk about next episode? I'm going to talk about the migrant caravan that is coming up north from Central America. That hostile horde of invaders? Yes. Oh, man. They're going to invade so... us like zombies. <laughs> going to spread zombies, disease, and we're going to go and die and all that shit. All right. <laughs> see you guys then.